You're listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to episode 156 of the Sprues and Brews podcast. My name is Dave and I'm joined once again by Matt. Hello. Jay. Hello. And Andy. Evening, chaps. Evening, all. Uh, so on this week's show, we're going to be talking about a tournament that we took part in at the weekend. We've not done one of those for a while, have we? It's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah. So uh, the local gaming group Purple Sparkle Unicorns, of which Andy is one of the founding members, um, so I'm sure he'll be telling us about the, the, the sort of beginnings of the tournament uh, later on in the show, um, held a Age of Sigmar two-day event at Element Games in Stockport. So our main segment this week is going to be talking about how we got on, what we took, where we finished um and uh how enjoyable the the weekend was uh we're also going to be sort of staying on on topic really with our top three because this week for our top three we're going to be talking about about our most memorable games of warhammer um so this could be anything from 40k to sigma to, to middle hey maybe even outside of warhammer we'll have to wait and see we'll, we'll talk about those later on in the show and we will be reading out some of the community choices towards the end of the podcast. And as always, we've got all the latest tasty news as well. But before we get stuck into all of that, let's talk about what we've been doing in the hobby this week. Um, so for me, I'm going to start us off this week. The, my my hobby time this week has been mainly dedicated to building the Void Dragon for the Necrons. Hey. He is so cool. I, could, I couldn't wait to get my hands on this guy when, when he was announced. Um, he's going to probably be in almost all of my Necron lists that he can fit into. Um, he's awesome. Uh, building him, however, see, I've, I've, I've read mixed things. A lot of people said he goes together an absolute treat. Maybe it's just me, but <laughs> his arm and part of his body did not want to, like, fit together. You know, I made sure all the little bits of sprue were off. I used um, all my hobby equipment to, to make sure all the bits were nice and clean. And maybe it's just my fingers and thumbs, but I um, did encounter some issues putting the main void dragon himself together. The base, though, I mean, that went together like an absolute treat. That was that was that was dead easy. And I was concerned, like as I was building, how does this thing support the weight of the actual dragon himself? And I mean, his wings aren't on yet, but already straight away, you can see like how the sort of energy beams and stuff that are around his base all kind of interlock together. Um, to make quite a sturdy platform for the Void Dragon to then be um, floating on top of. So a stunning model. Cannot wait to paint him. Um, should be uh, should be a real, real treat. Um, but because I've been trying to take my time with him, that has pretty much been my hobby, aside from um, the tournament, really. Um, not a lot else to report. Jay, what have you been up to? Um, so uh, this week I had to put down um, the space marines I was painting and, and get the Luminef ready uh, for the weekend. So um, I uh, finished my Shrine Luminor, uh, which is like the Luminef scenery piece, and um, also the 10 Alarif Stone Guards. So I had 15 Alarif Stone Guard in my list. I had five already painted previously, so it's getting those last 10 done. Um, so, so that kept me busy this week. Excellent. You did them really, really quickly, Jay. Um, so they they were um, batch painting them, so um, and it's like a mixture of contrast and, and um, regular paint. So the 
the like robe, the grey robes, that that's um, grey seer with basilican grey um, fin down and, and running to the recesses. And then I've got a trick for painting all the gold trim. So the gold trim takes quite a while to pick out in Liberator Gold, but then um, you touch up around it with the um, Corex White, which is the colour I use for like the, um, the the plate, the armour. And then uh, a really thin down mix of wildwood contrast sort of shades the gold and shades the white armor at the same time. And then you can pick out the gold trim again with a bit more liberated gold just to bring get the shine back out. Um, so it's quite time consuming, but it's not a tricky process to do. Um, so I, I, I spent um, pretty much every evening last week painting those up. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's that done. I don't think I'll be painting any more stone guard. I think the next uh, Luminous to be painting will probably be the Blade Lords or the Wind Chargers. I'm not sure yet. Cool. Excellent stuff. Expanding the Luminous. Uh, excellent. Andy, what have you been up to? Um, well, I unfortunately did not go to the event, so I have had that luxury of not having to paint anything for an event. <laughs> um but I really wanted to crack on with the Osteop Bone Reapers and try and get them finished off in the next month or so. And then I can sort of cruise along to the end of the year. Um, so in the last week, I painted up the Mortison Soul Mason um, and the Soul Reaper, um, both of which are absolutely gorgeous models. And the Soul Mason comes on like um, a chair with legs, and I, for the first time in a very long time, I did them in sub-assemblies. So I painted the chair separately and left, um, when I like primed it, I left um, a bit of blue tack where the connection point was, um, so that it's plastic on plastic rather than plastic on paint. And yeah, I painted up the chair, did all the base and everything like that for it, magnetized the base, and then slowly started to paint the actual wizard himself um while watching a certain corn dragon on the hobby room stream (laughs) (laughs) which we'll talk about later um so yeah so i painted up the uh soul mason um he was really good fun and really glad i've got him done and i painted up the uh uh bone uh soul reaper there you go and yeah i've got on my painting desk at the minute I've managed to build my first uh, Gothzilla Harvester. Um, so I'm just waiting for the weather to get a bit nicer and then I can prime him and try and get him done. Um, and then, yeah, I'm on. I'm down to the last 500 points of my Bone Reaper army, which I really don't know what to put in, but I'm looking at Catacross. Ooh, nice. What about considering Arkin? Um, well, funnily enough, I've actually got Arkan um, in my pile of shame. Um, he's not built yet, but I'm kind of tempted to build him as Manfred. Ooh, so yeah. I've been holding off on that. I'll t- tell you what, because um, this isn't really tournament speak. Uh, f- for part of the tournament, I actually did get to play, I'll explain later, but I got to see lots of games being played. And I was talking to lots of different people. Um, and I tell you, the dangerous thing about tournaments <laughs> is you start list building in your head. Yeah. And yeah. I was like looking at there was quite a, a good turnout for the Soul Blight, and I was like, ooh, it'd be really nice to do a Soul Blight army led by Manfred. I've got uh, quite a few skeletons already. Just add a few more skeletons. Yeah. You know, some direwolves. Oh, that'd be that'd be pretty cool. Um, well, there's, there's, a, there's a list with uh, thirty blood knights in it. 
and yeah. even then I was like I'd love to do it but I don't think I want 30 blood knights in my army no I wouldn't go to that extreme I don't think I, I would never want to to build and paint that many of those but they, they are a very cool unit and I would like to include if I ever did a, a soul white army it would definitely have some blood knights in it I think yeah yeah that's it excellent uh liking the progress on the bone reapers matt do you want to finish us off for this segment what have you been up to in the hobby this week so i this week i've mostly been painting a orc kill rig so games which have very kindly sent us uh one to review and oh it's such a cool model i uh i mean i've always been a big fan of the the, the, the kill rig in in the book it's amazing and i was desperate to get my hands on one <laughs> it's got good rules it's got a good model it's one of those kits that kind of ticks all the boxes um, yeah. It's a little bit trickier than I imagined it would be to build, to be fair. There's a oh, few really? little fiddly bits, yeah. Um, and the, unfortunately, there's a few spots in the instruction manual where the instructions are wrong. So I've, I've called them out on the on the review that I did. But yeah, it's a joy to paint up. So I'm doing it in the, the studio scheme for the B-Snagger. So lots of dull metals and then kind of white armour with weathering and chipping and stuff. So I've just kind of been doing that tonight. Uh, by the end of the night, the, the kill rig itself and all the weapons and turrets and platforms and all that should be done. Just leaving the squig and the orcs to do. So squig I'll do with the airbrush. That'll be fairly easy. Then it's got some more paneling, which will be done the same way as on the kill rig. And then, yeah, just the orcs. I'm going to do in the more kind of vibrant colour they've done for the beast snagger stuff, which, is to be fair, is probably a similar way I'm going to paint my crawl boys as well. It's more of a 90s kind of like bright green, isn't it, compared to some of the more darker muted oryx i've done in the past yeah absolutely um it's looking really really cool can't wait to see it finish man can't wait to have a game against it as well yeah looking forward to uh using it excellent so that's what we've been doing in the hobby this week and um, we do have the news coming up next so we'll take a pause and we'll come back with that so what do we have in this week's news matt so uh, this week we've got some uh, some some pre-orders that I think we've been expecting for a while now, and that is Aeronautica. Sadly, no dragons this week, and I know that upsets everybody on the call because uh, we all wanted to have dragons in our lives. But we do have planes, and that is that is pretty cool, if not dragons. So um, Wrath of Angels, the new Aeronautica starter box, the third such one is up for pre-order for £57.50, which I think is a tad more expensive than the last one. I think we were chatting over the weekend, Jay, that how, I think it was like 40 quid the previous ones, and that was a kind of a good yeah. kind of starter box price. It's a little bit more expensive this time. Um, you do get a nice assortment of um, of planes, though, obviously the Space Marine ones and the Eldar ones. The Eldar ones have got, like, articulated wings, so you can, you know, lock s or whatever the Eldar yeah. equivalent is. It's just like the uh, Forge of so the Nightwing, it's a Nightwing and all the vampires or Phoenix, I can't remember now, but they, they're the older Forge World uh, Eldar flyers. And, and yeah, the Forge World uh, Nightwing, you can adjust the wings on as well. It's, it's my favourite flyer, of course, when Craftworld Eldar got all their plastic um, aircraft, the um, Hemlock Wraith Fighter and the Crimson Hunter, um, they're a bit of a different aesthetic. But yeah, I love these ones, these older ones. Yeah, well, in the, I mean... Uh, I... I, I think I might pick up the box to paint these up, even if you don't play. But uh, you get three of the Nightwings, you get three Phoenix Bombers, you get three Xiphon Interceptors, and you get two Storm Eagles. Uh, and obviously all the rules, um, dice and a, a paper mat. Um, you can buy a kind of hard card 
mat for £26 area of engagement. Uh, I think that's probably worth going because I think the the paper playing surface probably wouldn't last too long, would it? I think something a bit heavier card stocks, a bit more durable if you're playing lots of games. Uh, Equally, there's cards and dice for both factions as well. And each of those various playing types that I've mentioned also have an accompanying plastic kit for £26. So if you don't want one of the factions and you've already got the rules, you might be better just picking up, you know, the, the two Space Marine plastic kits or the two Eldar plastic kits. Obviously, if playing both of them, you do get a discount by buying the big box, though. So, you know, I mean, if you're um, if you're wanting the Eldar J, I might split with you for Space Marines. I think that's a good box to split between people. Oh, but yeah, yeah we'll have a look. Um, so that looks fun. We've also got some Vansar upgrades on the way as well. So we had a few of these for Necromunda now, basically re- uh, replacing the resin kind of weapon packs that, um, you know, Games Workshop put out. And they, they're really good. I've got the um, the Escher one and you get some really good parts in there. And on uh, Saturday, we've got the Vansar one. There's plasma cannons, multi-melters, melter guns, all sorts of cool stuff. So I think kind of if you're building a Necromunda gang, pick this up and the base set. And you'll have enough weapons for whatever combination of stuff you want to do. I think it's a really good thing that they've done these as plastic sets because the resin kits. I think you got the Orlock resin upgrade, didn't you, Dave? I did, yes, yeah. But um, and they're, they're relatively kind of expensive, aren't they? Yeah, yeah they're they relatively are. expensive compared to the uh, the plastic ones. And what's good about the? I don't know if you've popped open a new yours. In the Escher one, it'll show you what body layout those weapons go with because obviously. The Necromunda kits, the, the certain arms go with certain bodies, and that's all spelled out in the instructions of the upgrade sprue as well. So that makes life a little bit easier because you don't get that with the resin ones. You've got to kind of work out how they fit themselves. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's pretty fun. Um, so that's it really for, for pre-orders. I'm hoping that we get um, dragons, obviously, next week. But there's a lot of stuff that's been shown off now. So I think uh, it might be a fun few months of releases from here out. Um, because really Aeronautica was the last kind of old thing we were waiting for. So obviously we've got all sorts, all sorts on the way from this week. Uh, speaking of the Necron, uh, Necron, speaking of Necromunda, we do have a new model that Warcom showed off this week, and it is the uh, the Vansar um, Orgmech, which is the kind of um, champion that they can have. He can take a Laz Cannon, which is amazing, uh, and he gets three of the um, Cyberachnids, such a cool model this yeah i'm really liking this new where uh, vansar wave um not quite as cool as the big mech thing but but still very cool i mean a last cannon in necromunda it's crazy yeah so you, you can you can take that on your champion as well so vansar can squeeze in two last cannons in a starting gang uh, which is crazy <laughs> crazy you don't have enough credits to do it and i think that's something we've seen on the last few kind of house of books that have come out if you want to you can go super elite but you're not going to have many much, uh, many bodies on the battlefield if you do that the good thing with these things is though uh you can pick up both both boxes these resin characters plus the upgrade sprue build it all and you'll have enough for a starting gang and then add some of the heavy weapons in as you go along so yeah lots of options for necromunda now which is really cool we also saw um, something that I know, Jay, you're, we've not even spoken to you on this. Grimaldus <laughs> and oh. the, uh, the Cenobites. Yeah. How cool are these? Such a, and I mean, we've, we've been speaking a lot about how Games Workshop have um, uh, sort of 
um, refreshed older sort of iconic models and characters from their sort of long history of making models. And Grimaldus, it takes a lot from the current Grimaldus model and the artwork, including his little retinue of uh, Cenobites, and just sort of like, I don't know, modernised it a little bit without actually changing the character of the model. It's so cool, isn't it? That helmet, um, they're the, the really sort of like um, um, like antique-looking armour that he's wearing, considering yeah. it's new Mark X Primaris armour. And then, of course, his little retinue that are following him around as well. I love the retinue. I think the retinue makes the set, personally. Yeah, I think he used to have two like um, sort of followers with his older model as well that were carrying a bit of masonry and, and a did, sensor yeah. or something like that. Yeah, but he's got yeah. three now. So I mean, with Helbrecht we saw the other day, he's got his little um, sword shiner, and then Grimaldus with his little entourage as well. Um, and then you've got the Crusader squads with the neophyte primary scouts in there. It's, I think it's going to be a very very unique looking Astartes army, army compared to like you know the regular codex chapters and whatnot yeah I, I actually owe you an apology jay because i honestly didn't think they'd redo two characters because you look at the space marine releases that have come previous i know obviously ultramarines have got uh gullman and they've got uh Calga and they've got um the librarian as well but that's the ultramarines isn't it everything everybody else hasn't but it does open the door a lot more i mean we had my fist in for blood angels but it makes me excited that we will hopefully eventually get like Lysander for the uh, Imperial Fists, Redon, um, Space Wolves, Dante. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, especially Dante. He's ancient, isn't he? And some of those um, well, Space Dante's Wolves. like the region, whatever on the the other side of the rift, isn't he? He's the uh... Was he? I can't remember now. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's he's kind of like acting commander of the far side of the rift, isn't he? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess the difference with those ones that you've just mentioned, Dave, they were kind of a Codex and a Blister release, where mm. this is an Army release. There's like you know five or six kits. There's one kit we haven't seen yet as well. So hopefully uh, that gets unveiled at some point in the near future as well. But yeah, it's uh, it's looking really cool, the Black Templars release. And again. That launch box can't be too far from the horizon either. I imagine the main release is probably closer to November, but um, they said October pre-order for the, the launch box. They also teased a while ago as well there'd be a different way of of doing this so it doesn't sell out within seconds as well. So I'm interested to see what that'll be as well, whether they make them to order or something maybe. So yeah, so that's exciting. Uh, what is also super exciting is events are back at Warhammer World. So we've had a you know a recent flurry of events. I think there was one this weekend at Warhammer World. Uh, Games Workshop have announced the uh, kind of event calendar for the rest of the year. <coughs> These are all up for uh, purchase on the 4th of October. So yeah, we have got a one-day Blood Bowl Quick Snap Cup on the 23rd of October. This is £35. You take a team of 1.1 million. And, uh, yeah, you play three games of Blood Bowl over the day. I'm kind of tempted to do this one. It, uh, it seems pretty fun. We've also got, a on the 24th, the following day, a Kill Team one-day event as well. So I think the Kill Team event they did last weekend or the weekend before was very, very popular. So uh, I think they followed it up soon after with another one. So that's cool. What I'm really interested in, on the 13th and 14th of November, they have a Warhammer 40,000 Crusade event. So this is £65 for a ticket. You take a 50-power Crusade force, and it can be an existing Crusade that you've already made, as long as it's no more than 50-power. 
Okay. Now, you can't, over the course of the campaign weekend, you can't add any models to your force, so you can't add new stuff that way. However, there will be bespoke stuff that you can do during the weekend. To keep things mysterious and secret and exciting, the, the, there will be a bespoke uh, mission pack that you'll get on the first day, and that will have all your unlockable upgrades and stuff. That oh, sounds cool. really, really fun. Yeah, it does sound really fun. So I'm I'm tempted to pick up tickets for this one. Um, I hope that they do an AOS one. I guess the difference with the AOS one, we're probably waiting for the first AOS um, Path to Glory book, aren't we? Yeah. I think as well, uh, there's only two battle tomes with Path to Glory content in them, whereas on the 40k side, it's been out now for over a year. We must have six, seven, eight codexes now with Crusade content in them. I guess the good thing with this is that because they've got this bespoke battle pack, they can write stuff in there for armies that don't have codexes yet. But yeah, you're right. There's there's a big disparity between the Stormcast and the Orcs and all the other factions for uh, for AOS, isn't there? Currently. Staying in the grim darkness of the far future, on the 20th and 21st of November, there is a Warhammer 40,000 team event. This is £260 for four tickets, and you and three Battle Brothers will gather 2,000 points armies from different factions and fight across five different games. It sounds really, really fun, and I would be absolutely up for doing this one, if not for the fact that the following weekend, there's an Age of Sigmar team event. So same kind of deal. Um, It's £260 for a team of four. Each of you has to take a different allegiance. So it's not a Grand Alliance, you could take four destruction armies if you wanted to, but you couldn't, for example, take four Uruk armies. You'd have to have different different armies in there. That's quite a nice way of doing it so that people don't just take the, the new hotness and go all in on that. Doubling down on that as well is that um, enhancements can't be duplicated across the entire team. Right. So, so you're going to have to be destiny, yeah, yeah, you're gonna have to be careful who gets the amulets, which is really nice as well. It means that... It means people will have to bring varied lists because you can't all go for the go, you know, go to net list because there's going to be some duplicates in those artifacts. You're going to have to be a bit more creative, uh, which, again, is really fun. The scoring system seems quite fun as well. Like each individual player gets 20 points for a win, but a team can only get a maximum of 60, which means that in the early games, not one team is going to run too ahead. And it also means that each team can afford a bad matchup as well. So it seems like they've put a lot of thought into it because there's nothing fun if, you know, unfortunately one of the four players has to take the sacrificial face the really nasty army. At least you're not going to get penalised for that too much. Yeah. So, yeah, this, this seems really, really fun. I um, will certainly be trying to get a ticket, but I think they'll be super popular. So we'll see how that goes on. And then finally, on the 4th and 5th of December, there's a Middle Earth event. A thousand point match play weekend of Middle Earth. Again, I'm kind of tempted to, to, to get some Middle Earth practice in and bring the Dunland Force. Yeah, I've, I've been trying to go to um, a Middle Earth at Warhammer World for probably about two years now. Just uh, I think they started doing them a couple of months after they released the Battle for Pelennor Field box set. And every single time they do it, it's on a weekend that I'm working. Uh, <laughs> it, always, it always annoys me, but then... Like you said, we've got the, the Age of Sigmar team event, we've got the Crusade event, so we've got yeah, there's enough to to go around, isn't there? So yeah, any of these that you guys attempted to get? Um, definitely the Crusade. This will be the first Crusade um, event 
that they've hosted. Um, so I'd be really interested to, to join that one. And I'm hoping, hoping first we get a ticket and the Black Templars arrive with enough time for me to get some paint on them and take the Black Templars yeah. on their first crusade. But yeah, the Age of Sigma team event, I know we, we were we, we had tickets to a team or we were looking at a team event prior to COVID. And it's something that we've we've talked a lot about doing, isn't it? And um, it would be nice to play as a team rather than individuals. Um, I think it could be quite fun. So yeah, those two events definitely appeal. Yeah, same, same here. The the Crusade and the Age of Sigmar team uh, definitely appeal. I just need to find a team now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got an inside joke about that, but I'll tell you when we're not when we're not on the show. <laughs> but yeah, I'm the same. I, I really want to get to that team event and the um, the Crusade one because again, the the 50 power level, 50 power level is not too much. I was kind of expecting it to be. You know, maybe 75 power level or something like that, but 50 power level, I'm kind of like... That's how I approach army building nowadays on the 40k side, at, at 50 power level chunks. Because I just think, yeah. with 50 power level and a, a, a thousand points, the, you have such a good time playing 40k at a thousand points nowadays that I think it's mm-hmm. a really cool place to start. Um, and then you go from there then, once you think, okay, well, I quite like that play style. I'm going to add a few more Dreadnoughts or, you know, something like that. So I'm really looking forward to when the Craftworld Eldar get looked at again and a co- we get a codex of Craftworld Eldar because I can then approach that that army. I mean, I've got I've got a big collection of Craftworld Eldar, but I don't have many Aspect Warriors. So I can say, right, I'm going to build a 50 power level Aspect heavy army. Um, so, yeah, it is a good, it's a good... Good size, I think, and the, the, definitely with Ninth Edition 40k, we talked about it a lot before. Where you've got they've got missions for the different point sizes. The game scales much better now at those lower point levels. Mm. I'd, I'd argue that, that sometimes those smaller games are even more enjoyable than a full size game. Yeah, I, I I agree with you there, Matt. I think I think 2,000 point games are good, but the 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 more points you have, the more opportunity a player has, I think, to cram their list full of broken toy you know not broken stuff but things that are quite much stronger than other armies or you know there may be some some really powerful combo that sort of comes to life at the larger points levels whereas 1000 points you're a bit more limited in what you can actually bring so you can't bring those super death star units or you may can only afford you know you may only bring one killer rig rather than three killer rigs that you can afford in 2000 points so yeah i do think it makes for a much a much closer game in terms of sort of um competitiveness of each side of the each person's army yeah and, and that kind of 50 power crusade event it kind of encourages you to to take something a bit different don't take named characters just take your own guys and give them their own backstory and yeah. see how they grow over the weekend so yeah fingers crossed we get hold of a ticket if not i'm sure warhammer world will be doing more of those if it's popular Excellent stuff. Well, that wraps up all of this week's news. There is a little matter of a tournament to discuss, so we'll be right back. So this last weekend, myself, Jay and Matt took part in a tournament uh, for the with the Purple Sparkle Unicorns. Now, unfortunately, Andy, you were unable to attend. But as as our resident unicorn, could you tell us a bit of a background on the event itself? Um, yeah, so we, we've we done a few two-dayers for Age of Sigma in the past. And obviously, they've gone down really well, been really popular. And this year, obviously, with COVID and everything that's going on, we were kind of like, umun and in you know, can, can we do an event, that sort of thing. And I think it was back in January or February this year, 
um, we kind of sat down, me and Craig, and basically hashed out the year in terms of events and when we wanted them, whether we could do them, this sort of thing. And obviously, like venue and yeah, after factory and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, we decided that we wanted to do a two-day Age of Sigmar around September, October sort of time, which is usually when we would go to um, a big event called Blood and Glory. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Blood and Glory um, normally is sort of like October sort of time, but we wanted to do our own just before it so that we could get as many people in as we possibly could. So the event itself has been about nine months in the planning, eight, nine months in the planning. And it always seemed so far away. And then every month it's just crept up, crept up, crept up. And then when we started to see army lists coming in and you know, this sort of stuff, it again, it was it was getting me super pumped, even though I couldn't be there. Um, and so we, we, we managed to um, get a weekend uh, Element Games. Um, as you know, Element Games, they run... Um, a lot of events, um, not just for Age of Sigmar, for AK, everything like that. And uh, we had to pick a, a weekend in September that wasn't the same time as Facehammer, which is a, another big event um, in the UK held at Element Games. So we, we managed to get the September and booked it in at Element Games. Um, they told us we were allowed sort of like up to 40, 50 people. And when we sat down and planned the event, we only expected probably about 30 players. And I think over the year, we we got, I think, we got about 48. But then, naturally, of course, you get a few dropouts, a few people can't make it, real life gets in the way, et cetera, et cetera. So I think by the end of it, it dropped all the way down to about 39, which is still tons more than we were expecting to be honest with you um and yeah unfortunately i couldn't make it but the true hero of the unicorns the chief the man the myth the legend mr craig chesters stood up took one for the team and ran the event and looking at it from someone who couldn't be there the event itself looked like it was absolutely amazing and it's so so heartbreaking that I couldn't be there even to roll dice to, you know just walk around the tables um but thankfully um we were able to get um the hobby room uh Ben Bailey came down from the hobby room and streamed all five games so you can go and check them out on the hobby room hobby room on twitch and I know for a fact that uh, a certain corn dragon was on the stream might have been yeah <laughs> so yeah that was great fun to watch but yeah the the event itself was just absolutely amazing i mean we got um uh, another purple sparky unicorn member a guy called gaz he did um he painted all the trophies with us uh for us with an airbrush so the apps yeah they looked absolutely phenomenal again ben was very um very gracious enough to do um, professional looking certificates and stuff so you know it when you, when you get sort of these events you know the, the prep work wasn't too bad just because of the fact that we have such an amazing community or who you you know we're willing to step up and really help out and yeah I, I think 
I, I mean, I, I, I assume you guys will agree with me, but Craig did an absolutely phenomenal um, event. And yeah, hopefully, you know, I think this is our third two-day Age of Sigma event. Um, but yeah, it, every single one we do, the enthusiasm is there. And yeah, hopefully this will just be a taste of things to come. Yeah, it was it was really good. Craig did a great job in it, and everyone seemed to enjoy it. It was, uh, yeah, it was a good old good old weekend, wasn't it, guys? There was a really friendly atmosphere there. I thought, like, I always get a little bit anxious about attending tournaments. So I don't do it very often, um, but it was a really really friendly atmosphere. And it, had, it you don't feel the pressure there at all. To you know, everyone's really friendly. The games are really cool. The opponents are really cool. Everyone's just having a laugh, and it's cool to go there because. You bump into people that I've seen at different tournaments, so we're sort of getting to know the different purple sparkly unicorns because they have a big showing there. But there's also other people there that I see at Throne of Schools events and things like that, and it's just really cool just to catch up and you know see how they're doing with their army if they're still using the same army, and you know sometimes you get a game against them. It is really cool. Yeah, I mean the purple sparkly unicorns. When we set it up, we wanted it to be, we just wanted people to come down and play games. Um, you know, none of us, there's maybe a handful of competitive players among us, but for the most part, I think the Purple Sparky Unicorns are, uh, we, we like rolling dice, um, first and foremost. You know, we're not we're not top table players. Uh, again, a few members of the group have done um, extremely well at competitive tournaments and stuff. But yeah, we, we really wanted to create almost like a Throne of Schools environment where mm. anyone can come down, play games and feel like they're not just going to, you know, turn up and lose all five games. You know, we're, we're going to have some games. We're going to play against varied armies, different people. And yeah, I, I think we are blessed with the, the PSU in the, term, in the sense that there's not a single bad egg among us, you know, insert jokes here, but, you know, in all seriousness, I don't think there's a bad egg among us. Yeah, no, it's really cool. Um, so yeah, so so obviously it was a, a two-day event, and we had five games. And uh, yeah, obviously, Dave, you 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 were the the glorious spare player on um, on day <laughs> one, weren't you? So yeah. so unfortunately, you couldn't make the whole weekend, but at least you got to play some Warhammer, didn't you? Absolutely, yeah. So, um, you had quite a good day, Dave. <laughs> I did. So, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about me um, and my games in a, in, a, in a few moments. But I, I basically only had the first two games of the, the Saturday and I wasn't there on the Sunday. But that wasn't to say I didn't have a, an absolutely fantastic time. And during the, the third game, um, I got to chat to a lot of the unicorns, a few people I've never met before, a few people that I have met before, um, checking out loads of cool armies. And like I mentioned, during the hobby section or i think it was the first section when we opened this podcast you're almost list building in your head because that's really cool i want to build that army um it's very dangerous but i think it's time we started to talking about the games that we did actually play matt could you tell us about the first scenario so first battle plan was savage games this is quite a straightforward one there's four objectives there's one at the edge of your territory that's worth one victory point there's one at the edge of your opponent's territory which is worth four victory points and then two in no man's land that are worth two uh, and obviously with the uh, the kind of the current um, season, there's various grand strategies and uh, battle tactics you can get to get more points. 
so I was I was fighting some some young whippersnapper who apparently knows a thing or two about Warhammer, uh, Mr. Ben Johnson from the uh, the Warhammer Studio. He'd brought his Sons of Bayamat down, and uh, yeah, I was I was really excited to, to play a game against Ben because I've never played him before, and uh, you know he's a bit of a he's a bit of a legend himself, isn't he? From uh, yeah, podcasting to, to to being in the studio, and uh, really really fun game. I got absolutely battered by him. But um, he he was he was very lots and lots of stuff I learned about the game there. He's given me loads of advice on positioning and moving and you know we we don't really play Warhammer like super serious tournament level, do we? But the kind of stuff where he was giving me advice on something that could happen like two turns in the future. Well, if you move these here, the next turn you can do that, and then you can do this. Just shows that, you know, like a game of chess, I suppose, a lot of people will think about all the pieces and where they might be a couple of turns down the road. So, yeah, so I'd, I'd, I'd brought my corn, my corn dragon list, which is basically big corn dragon. That's the list. Few things to buff it up. And then three units of blood reavers whose job is to die as soon as possible and gather blood tithe points. It's fairly no nonsense. It is all eggs in one basket. I'll either decimate everything or die horrifically. And you know what? We had a really good fight. I think I killed two mega gargants uh, until, unfortunately, Vorgarath was dragged down by um, by a pesky mega gargant who had like two wounds left. I think if I'd have managed to kill that one, I might have been able to keep up the momentum and maybe finish off the last one. But, um, but yeah, really, really fun. I think the final score was 26-24 to Ben. So, and I managed to do three battle tactics as well. So I thought that's 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 pretty good going against a good player. And obviously, I think he was going he was going easy on me and and giving me some pointers. But um, yeah, it was really fun to play against him. And hope I get to fight him again at some point in the future. Excellent. Yeah, it was a really really cool looking Sons of Bear army and. Yeah, I mean, we played Warhammer Community, um, sort of Ben and stuff before, but first time, you, well, any of us have played the studio. <laughs> yeah, so that's, trial um, by fire, that. Very, very, <laughs> very, very cool. Um, Jay, uh, how did your first game go? Um, yeah, so this was um, my second match play game. So we've just been playing Path to Glory. Uh, I'd had one practice game against uh, Matt's list uh, the week before. Um, so I, you're trying to get around your head around the additional admin of battle tactics. Um, so going into this game, it, it, it was cool. So uh, I was playing um, Jack, who had um, uh, using the uh, New Auric Warcons battle tome, but he had a Iron Jaws army. So it was two more crushers, um, loads of Gore Grunters. Are they War Chanters, Dave, that just give out war damage, chanters. extra damage? Yeah, a couple of War Chanters, yep. some hard boys. I, I think there was a shame in there. Um, of course, I was I brought my Luminef. So my Luminef was from the Metrica Great Nation. So these are the the Stone Temple Elves. Um, I had um, two units of Alarif Stone Guards, with one one with the the, the mallets and one with the picks. Um, I had the Avelinor um, Mountain King. He's the uh, the big cow named character, uh, and an Alarif Stone Mage is my sort of Alarif um, sort of element of the army. Uh, and then I had Teclis and um, twenty. Um, Benari Wardens uh, to round out the uh, the, the army. Um, and I'd used... Uh, Teclis gets... Uh, on the board initially, Teclis is quite vulnerable, uh, but he's got access to a lot of defensive abilities and spells and things. So you uh, you really want to try and get that first turn to get those spells off. So I'd, I'd, I'd gone for two a two-drop army to try and hopefully outdrop all of my opponents so I can at least get my defences up with, with Teclis. 
and then take that first attack and then start, you know, making my way out of the deployment zone and, and onto the objective. So I've not had many games really with the Lumineff um, for, for different reasons. COVID stopped us from meeting up and playing just as, after I got my army and then the second battle tone and things like that. So um, I'm still finding my feet with Lumineff on, on how to deploy with them and how to um, how to use the units in, in synergy with each other and things like that. Um, so um, I lost my first game. I lost it by quite a lot. I didn't get I didn't get very many battle tactics. I, I lost Techless um, to a, a more Crusher coming down my right flank. Um, I, I was even in this game though. I was starting to see how the different units fare in different situations. So straight away I could see that the Alarith Stone Guard and Avalanor especially were very very uh, durable, very very tanky. They, they basically held up a more Crusher for a few turns, held up some Gorgrunters, and then were able to start pushing back. Um, but unfortunately, by that point, I'd let Jack build up quite a lead in the um, victory points because you got you got more victory points for holding those two centre ones uh, together. And I wasn't able to come back from that. But but it was a really, really fun game. Um, and um, Jack's army was was really, really cool. So, it, it, you know, there were two more crushes there. That, that, that's a solid sort of offensive um, um, pair of units there coming at you. But he'd done a cracking job painting them up. And they reminded me a lot of the... Um, do you know the orcs from Warcraft, from um, oh, yeah. the Outlands, is it? They've got like the, the brown skin. Mm. They paint them up like that with this like rusted metal armor effect, picking out like runes and things in like a, a turquoise blue. They look like a, a very, very um, unique looking orc army, purple more crushers. Um, so even though I, I lost, and it, it was, I, I think I lost by about 20 or so, just over 20 victory points. Um, I, I learned a lot from that game, I think. I, I learned straight away about my deployment so in the following games i was able to tune my deployment a bit and shield techless a bit better and i found as well in the games going forward as you'll find out that i was prepared to be a bit more um aggressive and and um with the stone guard units and my alarith units because they were just they proved so durable i thought well maybe i could push these a bit further up the field and maybe take on a few enemy units and enemy elite units and things so even though i lost that game it was still a really really cool game to start with and i learned a lot from it Excellent. Sounds like a really good game. Um, my uh, first game was against a guy called Paul Burrows. He'd brought along a Seraphon list that was very skink heavy uh, and also featured a certain Lord Croak in his brand new model, which is stunning. Uh, absolutely fantastic. What I loved about Paul's army is um, he wanted everything to be skinks, so his Saurus Guard, he'd converted skinks to be Saurus Guard. Oh, that's um, cool. He had chameleon skinks. He had a big unit of, um, a big max unit of um, of skinks um, that he, he managed to use very, very well. So um, he uh, he took the first turn. I think very similar to you, Jay, he wanted to get um, a good hold in the hero phase, like get his buffs off and stuff. Um, and it became very evident that he was putting a lot of buffs into this big unit of skinks of which he teleported and nearly killed Kragnos with, <laughs> took him down to two. Weeks. So actually I should mention what's in my list. So my list was headed up with Kragnos, more crusher, uh, a war chanter, a unit of five brutes, a unit of 10 hard boys, uh, three gore grunters. Uh, I played blood tooth so that my war chanter could give out uh, Valent fury three times. So three of my units could have plus one damage. Um, so yeah, he nearly took Kragnos down, took him down to two wounds. Um, then in my turn, I played very aggressively with the Moor Crusher, um, managed to get a 3d6 charge again, thanks to the, the War Chanter on his Saurus Guard that was in front of Lord Croak, um, and then double turned him. Um, so I then managed to 
obviously had piled into Lord Croak uh, and took him down because he was brilliant in that first hero phase. Um, he's such a strong character, but uh, does fall quite easy to a giant maw crusher, uh, I found. Um, so it was it was a really good game. Um, I did come out victorious, which surprised me. <laughs> Always surprised me when I get a win at a tournament. Um, I can't remember the final score now, but it was it was quite a good victory to me actually. Um, to be fair, um, I was I was really really happy with that. Um, Paul was a really really nice guy, a glorious looking army, um, and thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed myself. And it was um, and Kragnos survived as well, which was which was even better. Um, do you want to tell us about the second game, Matt? Yeah, so the second uh, mission was Tectonic Interference. So this one, you've got three objectives down the centre of the board. At the start of each battle round, you randomly determine which one's the primary one, which is worth more points. So you're kind of fighting back and forth across the central line, trying to hold into these objectives. My game was up against a guy called Daryl, uh, who had Soul Black Grave Lords. Now, I've, I've, I've dabbled with the Grave Lords, and I know what's good and what's what's maybe not so good and he had a big unit of grave guard and i was very concerned because i knew well those grave guard if they got the jump on the dragon the dragon wasn't going to be kicking after that so that was kind of my priority target in the first turn unfortunately he also had another big nasty in there in the form of nagash now mm. nagash is a little bit terrifying however i figured I've got quite a bit of magical defence. I can probably afford to ignore Nagash until I've dealt with the Graveguard. Then I can take out Nagash and then I can mop up the rest of the army was basically the plan. I haven't got a lot of moving parts in my army. I can only really take out one thing at a time. The the, the infantry units aren't going to be able to hold objectives. They're just going to die horrifically. So I have to just hit the primary heart you know, and take out the targets one at a time. Um, and... It, it, it went really, really well. The um, the dragon wiped out most of the grave guard with its breath attack, and then charged in and finished off the rest of them just to get them off the board and and managed to start picking away at his other stuff. With that big kind of um, hammer gone, he didn't have a lot. He could really put some pressure on the dragon to take it down. Um, he right off the bat realised that he needed to kill my support pieces first. The problem was getting to them because there was a massive dragon in the way. So his, um, his he had a terror geist, which he got in to try and take out my, my banner bearer and my slaughter priest. Unfortunately, it whiffed all its attacks because, uh, you know, a terror geist can be quite nasty with its mortal wounds it can do on its bite. But, um, yeah, with the war shrine there, giving giving out ward saves and the, uh, the, the, the dragon fluffing its attacks. Unfortunately, he didn't manage to kill those support pieces. So Nagash decided to go in for a charge, and he failed by an inch. Oh. Oh. If Nagash, I, think, I think at that point he thought, if Nagash doesn't charge, he's going to get charged by the dragon and probably eaten alive. Um, if Nagash charges, he can do some damage, and if he's still alive and wins the double turn, he could potentially hand of dust it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Unfortunately, Nagash failed the charge, and I think at that point then... I had the game in the bag. Um, Nagash can cast, what is it, like eight spells a turn? However, with my banner, um, you have to re-roll all successful casts. And I have got a load of cumulative uh, minuses to cast. So Nagash was really just casting like a mere morsel. And unfortunately for Daryl, he'd cast it really high. And I'm like, yep, you got to re-roll the banner. And then he'd roll like a three on like every spell that he ever cast. Um, so so yeah, I got off quite lightly, and then um, Vorgrath just like one shot Nagash. 
it was horrific. <laughs> the, uh, that that axe when it spikes high can kill most things in the game, and uh, yeah, put a lot of hurt on him. So unfortunately, the, it didn't go so well for the the Grave Lords. Now at that point, there was still a good chance that Daryl could come back because at the end of each turn, you can roll a dice and see if a slain unit returns at half strength, and even. A unit of 10 Graveguard could have given me problems popping up on another objective. But again, Daryl was really unlucky with his dice rolls and, and didn't manage to get any units back. Uh, and once the dust settled, there wasn't a lot left on the battlefield. So, uh, so yeah, I managed to get a victory there, 20, 27 to 17. Mostly thanks to Nagash feeling his charge and then the dragon having him. So, uh, yeah, I was very lucky there. Two very similar lists, isn't it? You've, you've got the... The big dragon, which is the majority of your, well, basically is your army, isn't it? And the same thing with Nagash. Nagash is like just shy of a thousand points now. So it's it's kind of if if one of you loses that key model in your army, you are at such a huge disadvantage. It's a bit of a game of chicken, isn't it? Because they're both suited for killing each other. But if it doesn't go wrong, your counterpart's probably going to kill you in the following turn. Yeah. So, yeah, it's I, I, I'd have had a similar situation if I was facing Archeon. I'd have to kill him before he slays of kings me. So, <laughs> yeah, so, but no, it, it, it went well. So that was a good victory. And um, I, my, I killed 2,000 points worth of stuff in that game. So at that point, the dragon was well fed. So he was happy. Excellent. Jay, how did you get on? Uh, so I was playing Soulblight Gravelords as well in my second game. Um, Harry, um, so his army was really really cool the way he had painted it very grim dark reminded me of like um john blanche's sort of art mm. style um it, it was really nice um he had lots of grave lard uh, grave lard graveyard guard <laughs> um and um he had lots of zombies wolves he had radical the beast is it belladonna or someone belladonna Bella? yeah mm. belladonna belladonna yep um some necromancers um and um, this was the game was really, really cool because we basically formed battle lines. So I had my wardens on the left flank facing off against his um, zombies. I had a center made up of um, Alarif Stoneguard um, and Teclis. And then my flank was covered by um, Avelinor, the Mountain King. And against like this line of Graveguard, uh, wolves and zombies. So I had some I got some really cool pictures of this battle where we sort of clashed like the Battle of Lost Alliance in the middle. It was really cool. Um, and it, the army, the, the, the elves played really well in this game. All of the sort of pieces fell into place. Teclis was able to cast his protection of Teclis uh, buff across most of the army because of the way the battle plan, where you're just fighting over that middle line, really, waiting for the objective, the primary objective to pop up in the different sort of sections of it. I was able to position Teclis well to cover the majority of my army with that five plus ward save. Uh, when that coupled with the Alarif units, sort of they ignore Ren minus two, uh, you can pop A for Quartz, all out defense. Uh, the heroes can use Finest Hour. Um, I, I was basically getting three plus saves and a five plus ward save against pretty much every attack that was coming my way. Um, and it, that, those defenses just proved too much for the Soul uh, Black Grave Lords to get past. Um, I was also um, casting um, Total Eclipse every turn. So Teclis can cast four spells at the beginning of his hero phase. You choose how many spells you want to cast with Teclis. He can say he's going to cast four at a casting value of 10. You don't have to roll the dice. Um, he can cast two at a casting value of 12. You don't have to roll the dice. Or he can cast one that no one can dispel. 
So so pretty much I was casting four every turn with Teclas on a casting roll of ten, um, which um, Harry was just he, he couldn't deal really with Teclas with the with the uh, casters he had in his army. And then Teclas is really good at dispelling spells as well. He gets um, unlimited dispel attempts. He gets one automatic dispel attempt, uh, and he gets plus one as well to his dispel attempts for nearby wizards near him. Um, so um, Harry couldn't rely on his magic either. Um, couple that with Total Eclipse, where um, every command point you spend um, costs an additional command point. Um, he was struggling to get his command abilities off as well. So I did. A, Teclis did a really, really good job of sort of locking down the options the opponent had to them. Um, so I, I, I got quite a good victory um, out of this one. Um, but it was really, really cool to play Harry. He was a great opponent. And like I say, we had some really, really cool duels down that middle line. Um, but yeah, the, the, it was here really. I was The, the Alarifs showed just how sort of durable they are. And negating that minus two rend and then stacking those plus one saves. Basically, they were on a free plus save for the entire game. So um, yeah, so that was, that was my first victory of the tournament. Excellent. Uh, my second and sadly final game uh, was against Alex uh, Tooth, who I'd previously fought when he had his um, shooty Stormcast list, which was actually the tournament that I won my uh, wooden spoon at, which was, what, three years ago or something crazy. Um, this time around, he decided to bring squigs, all of the squigs. Um, I mean, I love playing against him because, I mean, who doesn't love squigs? Uh, but... To, to 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 basically sum it up, he just had too much for my army, I think. So he gave me turn one. I knew how quick squigs could be, even though I'd not really played them before. So I, I kind of I couldn't I could only really get into combat with him with my Maw Crusher, which I didn't want to do because yet I should mention he had four Mangler Squigs and a Loom Boss on Mangler Squig. So that's five of these big, big boys. And I was like, I, I just don't know, because he deployed them all together as well. So I was like, if my crusher, more crusher goes in, OK, he kills one. But then he's going to have three of these things um, and it, they're going to take him out. Um, so I kind of put Kragnos on one flank, kind of tried to keep my army together, um, kind of slowly moved up. His turn came along. Um, and yeah, he got some really good movement rolls because it's obviously it's very random, isn't it? The squigs, the gloom spike gets. It's like yeah, they have a command ability, don't they, to add some movement as well. And you get yeah. the uh, you get the the bad moon as well. If the if the bad moon's in the right position, they can do that and then charge afterwards as well. So they can they yeah. can do the three to six movement run, add plus three movement I think for the command ability and then charge still if the moon's above them. Yeah, yeah. So um, he, he got into combat with me pretty quick. Needless to say, really, I, my battle line, like my Brutes, my Ard Boys and my Gore Grunters, they, they didn't seem to last very long at all. Um, Kragnos and the Moor Crusher did, did really well, especially the Moor Crusher. Um, Kragnos fell um, mainly to mortal wounds from the Boingrot Bounders, um, but it was his Loom Boss that, that finished him off, which he was really pleased with. <laughs> he was really happy that his Loom Boss had uh, managed to slay Kragnos. Um, the god of earthquakes exactly yeah so um yeah in the end I, I just couldn't contest the objectives like he was just building his points up on those i think it was like 28 23 at the end uh and the only reason i really kept my score up is i, I don't think in both games i didn't fail a single battle tactic um i did all of them um in the first game in fact i even got my grand strategy 
Um, in this game, I, d- I didn't get that, um, and I just couldn't contest enough objectives. In the end, all I had left on the battlefield was uh, my Maul Crusher, who by this point, thanks like the hero abilities and stuff, he'd, he'd, he'd only taken two wounds. Um, so he was quite happy stomping around, killing whatever he charged. But, I mean, I would have needed like another four or five turns to have tabled Alex's army. And by that point, you know, he'd have been miles ahead on points. So um, it was a shame. It was it was a really good game. Alex is a, is a really cool opponent. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I just kind of wish I'd got to play more games. But um, a 50% win ratio for me is, is, is something that I can hold my head up high and, and walk away from pretty chuffed. Yeah, that's good going. Yeah, well, turn game three was Feral Foray. So this is, there's basically three objectives in each territory. And if you get on your opponent's one, you can burn it to gain a, a victory point and then remove it from the battlefield. So a classic. We've seen that a few, you know, through the last couple of editions of Sigmar, haven't we? Uh, and for this one, I was facing Rob Thomas, who had previously fought at one of the uh, 40k Purple Sparkle Unicorns events. Uh, he had brought his ogres and it was a very uh, stompy army with four thunder tusks of various flavours, an icebrow hunter as his general, and a load of frost sabers. So yeah, again, pretty much another no nonsense list like me. He had uh, and Ben um, asked if we wanted to be on the the stream because he wanted to see the big dragon fight against some big stompy mammoths, and you know, of course, we said yes. So uh, we set up and. Um, Rob has been really, really clever with his making sure that things were spread out and in range to shoot the stupid mortal wound causing snowballs and uh, staying out of uh, dragon buffet range. Unfortunately, <laughs> I don't think he anticipated um, just how good the dragon's breath attack can be. He um, he charged in with one of his um, one of his thunder tusks and. I think, off the top of my head, it, it it hit with like all three of them, wounded with all three of them, and I rolled like three sixes for the damage, just obliterating a thunder tusk. <laughs> um, so so yeah, so once he'd lost the first one to 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 charging the dragon, he was a little bit concerned, and um, unfortunately, I think I managed to double turn him and then rampage through a load of uh, thunder tusks. So after the dragon had killed most of the stuff on the board. The, the hunter came down in my uh, territory, burnt an objective, and then ran and hid in the very corner of the board. So obviously, <laughs> I had to have my battle tactic of slay the enemy warlord and call the finest hour. But unfortunately, I couldn't quite get close enough to finish him off. Wow. So pesky, pesky um, ogre running away and hiding. That's not a very heroic way to end, is it? Uh, I, I was watching this game on this um on the uh, Saturday night when I got home from work and I was just laughing when it got to a bit where the hunter is just in the corner and I was just like yeah if it were me I'd run away from that dragon too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it was a really 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 fun game though and um again it was a, a two no-nonsense armies really he he was really good with his movement and shenanigans and if I think if he hadn't been unlucky with the the dragon nuking one on the way in he would have weakened that dragon up enough for the other two to go and finish it off it's just one of those where if you if you've only got a few models in your army and you lose one on the way in on the charge unfortunately it's a little bit unlucky isn't it yeah it is 
Bernard, it was a really fun game. I managed to win that one 29 to, 15, 29 to 18. Uh, putting me on a... Uh, I think at that point I was about seventh in the standings, which was a bit concerning going into day two, which we'll see in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, yeah, so a great a great first day of gaming. Um, couple of couple of wins for you guys. Um, setting up quite I nicely. I had one more game on on day one. <laughs> Sorry, I've almost completely <laughs> forgot to go to you for your uh, your last game of the day, Jay. Excuse me. Please please continue. No, I, it was a good game as well to finish off on. So I was playing Mark from Purple Sparkling Unicorns with his Sylvaneth army. And I know Mark is he's a big Sylvaneth fan and he's been playing Sylvaneth for a long time. So I knew this was going to be a tough game. He knows his army inside out. Um, he had a L'Oreal, uh, which is, it was a really, really nice paint scheme he'd done across his his whole Sylvaneth army. But Alariel really stood out. She was amazing looking. Um, a Warsong Revenant, which is the new um, Sylvaneth sort of um, uh caster unit that, that came out recently with the broken realm series uh, that i was really looking forward to to seeing what they could do on the on the in the battle because i want to add one to my Sylvaneth army um uh, and really his army list was it looked very similar to an army list that i would build with alariel and a warsong revenant with some dryads and lots of tree revenants um there were no tree lords um but he did summon some kernel hunters um so this game was a bit of a roller coaster um so i i I thought I would be a bit more aggressive with my Lumineth. So in the first turn, I teleported a unit of um, Alarith Stoneguard right onto one of his objectives in the corner, uh, hoping to give him something to deal with. I knew the um, Stoneguard, they've proven so far to be really, really resilient. And even five of them, I thought, could probably hold out against a lot of um, uh, the units in um, Mark's army because the Sylvaneth don't really have a lot of rend, especially if they're not bringing Tree Lords and things. Uh, and obviously the, the Stoneguard, they ignore that. Ren minus two anyway, and I can I can use the Aether Quartz on them, I can use the uh, Command Ability All Out Defense on them. Um, so they did do a good job of sort of distracting uh, Mark on that left hand side, but he did bring Alariel over, uh, and Alariel managed to crash into my unit of Wardens, which I deployed on the left flank behind them. Um, and she, over a couple of turns, she did take them all down. Now the Wardens are really cool; they dish out tons of mortal wounds, especially if they've been charged um, when they're getting that minus one to hit as well. And they did get a Lariel all the way down. I very nearly killed her. So then in, in my next turn, and I declared the uh, bring it down battle tactic. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to finish her off. And then Alariel did what Alariel does. And she healed up 10 wounds, um, plus some extra healing ability spell she had, all the way back up to full health. So I'd missed my opportunity to, to bring it down. And at that point... Um, uh, Mark had built up a little bit of a lead and I, I remember, I think Dave, you came over to the table at that point and, and you were saying how the game's going and I think I told you it, it's looking like it's over for the Lumineth. Um but then in turn three I managed to bring it back um, so on the right hand flank my, my, the, my remaining ten stone guard and Avelinor and Teclis had been sort of tanking all of this shooting that um, Mark had been sending across from his um, Dryker uh, yeah, Dryker over there um, and He'd done a few wounds chipping through, but not too much damage, considering she gets like 20 shots doing mortal wounds on sixes or, or whatever it was, and Hannah's spells as well. Um, so I was able to start pushing on the right-hand flank um, and also um, take out Alariel. So I got a lot of um, victory points that turn for battle tactics, for battle tactics with monsters, for killing monsters. Um, and I started to take the lead then. Um then in turn three, um, 
I went second, so Mark took the first turn. So I burned one of the objectives on his side of the board, which, um, sorry, removed one of the objectives on his side of the board to stop him accumulating more points from um, uh, holding objectives. Um, and then that was it. Then I, I was able to, to, to take the lead and, and ultimately win the game. Uh, so once again, Techlist did a fantastic job of shutting down um, his magic phase, really. I think he only managed to get a couple of spells off for the duration of the game. Um, his tree, um, Warsong Revenant, which he was telling me that it was a key part of his um, battle plan, really, his tactics for that army was that that, that Warsong Revenant and the spell portal. Um, I was just able to shut that down the entire game. He wasn't really able to do, use the Warsong Revenant for anything. And he, he spoke to me after the game. He said he... He, he really should have taken a decision at the start with playing against Techless. He wouldn't be able to use the Warsong Revenant to its fullest ability. He should have played a bit more aggressive with it. As it is, it, it just sort of sat at the back of the board, really. Um, and again, those Alaref units in the Metrica Grand, uh, Great Nation, um, they can take a lot of hits. And they sort of spent the first half of the game just taking the hits, a little bit of chip damage, nothing too serious. And then finally, then they're able to get the charges off. And even though they've only got the minus one rend on their weapon, which isn't too much, um, the fact that I had total eclipse ups for pretty much 100% of the game meant that um, Mark wasn't really able to use his all-out defense because it was costing him two two points um, and he didn't really have them. So um, that minus one uh, rend was able to sort of just, just enough to get through and start um, chopping down some trees. Um, and um, I was really having fun using the stone guard. So... They get two attacks base, three plus to hit, three plus to wound, minus one rend, one damage. Uh, the picks do a mortal wound on a wound roll of a six, and the hammers do an extra point of damage on a wound roll of a six. But with the stone mage, you can um, increase that rend to rend minus two. Um, it does reduce the amount of um, distance they can pile in, but if you've already sort of engaged in combat, you don't really need to pile in. They're, they're a small unit anyway. You can get that extra pip and rend on their weapons. Um, and then Avelinor's got a really cool command ability, which um, you pick D3 Alarif Elf units, so you can pick the same unit D3 times um, in the latest errata, and um, it gives them an extra attack. So so a unit of like um, 10 Alarif Stoneguard uh, are potentially getting um, 50 attacks um, at minus two rend, and with sixes doing double damage. So they can be a surprisingly... Um, offensive unit if you can get them into the right position and sort of lap these buffs on them um and i was also starting to get used to the different ways i can generate extra command abilities myself so the shrine allows a, a hero that's the shrine guardian that's in the garrison on on the shrine to use a command ability for free um and the avelinor can use his elder wisdom ability to um uh, give a um, elf hero uh, a, an extra command ability, an extra command point in the following hero phase as well. So I was able to really make use of those all-out defense, the A for quartz for the plus one saves. Um, so this was a really, really cool game. Yeah, so another victory to Lumineff. And um, like I say, it was a bit of a roller coaster of a game. Uh, it, that turn three really turned it around for me, and then I was able to start accumulating the victory points. Excellent. Yeah, it was. A, I really enjoyed watching it. I mean mainly for the spectacle of two elven gods yeah. battling it out. Um, I think, uh, I can't remember who said it, but they really wanted you to come across Morafi at some point during the weekend, so then you kind of, you know, collected all Four the elves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, spoiler alert, you, you didn't, unfortunately. No, lucky me. <laughs> Not so lucky for someone else. Though. No, well, that ties nicely into Matt's first game on the Sunday, 
Um, because I believe you you faced another, shall we say, internet celebrity. Yeah, another another bad dice. <laughs> Podcast, uh, uh, ben Curry with his daughters of Cain. Now, this we were looking we were looking at who we might be facing because you know we could kind of gauge who we might be up against. And I was like, oh crikey! Of all of this, there, the Marathi and a load of snakes was the one thing that really really concerned me. Um, yeah, I think by oh well. By by Ben's first hero phase, he'd almost killed the dragon. Um, we were playing Veins of Gur, which is basically Star Strike. Um, I don't think we really got to the point where any objectives started dropping, though. He, um, the, the snakes are, are very, very good. They get two shots each. They can do mortal wounds. They can shoot in the hero phase for a command point, and then obviously shoot again in the shooting phase. And he had a big block of 15 of them, fully reinforced. Uh, yeah, they made short work of the dragon. He was he was getting killed immediately, and I mean I managed to grab a few a few points with my um with, with my surviving units. But like I say, once the dragon's down, it, it, ultimately I've got a war shrine, uh, a couple of support characters, and three units of blood reavers who are like tissue paper. <laughs> um, it was it was brutal. It was an absolute bloodbath. I did manage to uh, kill a unit of Canary Life Takers, I think it was, for 70 points. Um, unfortunately, everything else in my army got killed horrifically. I think I caused seven wounds to, for Marathi, and that's after the dragon had died. So that's a moral victory. Yeah, that's I wanted to try and take, take her out over the game if I could. But uh, yeah, ben, Ben's such a good player. Such well, a good player, completely uh, different league to us guys. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, yeah, like you say, the fact that he's a great player anyway, and he's had a lot of experience with that list. But even just the fact that you were fighting Marafi and all of those snakes, you know, I, I think even if I was controlling that army, it would have been a, a tough fight for you, for your particular list. And we were thinking, well, you know, if I was controlling Marafi, would just charge us straight into your dragon and like take your dragon out of the game. Basically, they'll just be sitting there, you know fighting each other for, for, for the majority of the game whilst his snakes go around clearing up all of your sort of weaker units. Um, so you knew that was going to be a tough game, really. That was It was quite a hard counter to your list, wasn't it? It was, it was. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a good learning experience. And I've got a load of snakes that I still haven't built yet because I want to do a similar list at some point. But uh, no, it was, it, was, it was super good. They're so quick. Well, one of the things I could have done was left the dragon in the sky and bring it down turn two and then go attack something problem is with ben's army being so fast and him being a good player i'm fairly confident he could have fanned out his force in such a way that i couldn't land the dragon yeah i think you're right so i couldn't risk it and he he had i think it was a one drop army maybe two drops max so either way he was dictating who went first um with the range on the snakes and the smaller board I couldn't even like stick the dragon in the corner to keep it alive and ultimately would have survived another turn. He'd have probably deployed in such a way that I can't get to him in one go. And then he'd just shoot me when I'm in range. So yeah, it was, it was a bloodbath. The final score was seven to 52. And wow. uh, my, 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 eyes on glory in day one had, had, had faded at that point, but it was, it was a really good game. And um, yeah, definitely a learning experience. Excellent. Um, Jay, how did you get on in your first game? On um, so, yeah, so my first game on Sunday was against Alex again, uh, Dave, and the, the Gloomspite Gits, the Squig Army that you fought. Mm. 
Um, so this was a really, really impressive looking army. Like I say, yeah, all brightly coloured orange squigs, all the manglers, loads of hoppers, squig herds, and some sneaky snufflers at the back as well, which you didn't see much of in our game, although they did they did try and impact the game at, at one point, which I'll talk about. So obviously by this point, I, I'm getting a bit more used to, use, to using the army. I, I deployed my techless screened by the... Um, by the stone guard that had a a, a, um, a Velenor on the right flank, anchoring my right flank, and the wardens again on my left flank, all within range of Teclis's protection of Teclis spell. Um, Alex sort of deployed heavy on one flank, all of his manglers on one flank, his um, goblin boss on the squig on, on on that one flank. He didn't really have anything on the left flank, so he was taking a gamble because this was the mission where um, the um, um, it's like the star strike mission, so. The objectives don't aren't on the board on turn one. On turn two, they start coming down um, in a random sort of third of the board. Um, first, they start in the middle, then in the defender's objective uh, a deployment zone, and then on the attacker's deployment zone. Um, and I also I built my list as a two-drop army to try and outdrop most other opponents, so I could take that first turn get Teclis's buffs off, get Total Eclipse down, which would then sort of makes the decision in the second turn of whether you go first or second, because you're going to be, you're still going to be under the effects of that Total Eclipse spell, and you're only getting two command points, so you can only use one command ability that turn. So it sort of makes the opponent think, well, you know, do I take the double turn or not? Because, you know, I can't really get everything I want to do out with that Total Eclipse spell going. So it's a really cool sort of control spell, very nice. Anyway, I deployed, and I decided to give Alex the first turn. I sort of gambled that, is Mangler Squigs, having not fought Mangler Squigs before, wouldn't be able to get to Teclis. Um, I thought the worst they'll be able to do is get to the Stone Guard, and um, they don't have any minus three rends, so I could use the Aether Quartz or use all that defense on the Stone Guard um, and get to that three plus save, and hopefully that keeps them in the fight long enough for me to get my first turn. Wow, Mangler Squigs are fast. So turn one, I had two Mangler Squigs in base contact with Teclas <laughs> before I had a chance to do anything. They fly. I forgot they fly. So they jumped over my lines. They got into contact with my Alarif Stone Mage. They got into contact with a few Stone Guard and they got into contact with Teclas. I was very, very, very lucky. Um, so, of course, I'm popping Aether Quartz all over the shop. He's roaring to stop me using command abilities. Um, so I had to rely on that Aether Quartz. Um, but he had some really, really hard luck with his damage roll. So his big D6 damage um, attacks from the Mangler Squigs, they either didn't hit or they failed to do more than one or two damage when they did hit. Um, so he he took Teclis all the way down. I can't remember now. He, he got he got very low down on the wounds. He nearly killed him, but didn't quite kill him. Um, and then I was able to then turn around and kill off one Mangler Squig in his turn when I fought back. So the, the Lumineff being able to choose two units to fight when they when they um, pick their units to fight is is a really really um, useful ability for the Lumineff. And I was able to to destroy one Mangler Squig that was uh, harassing Teclis. And then in my turn one, I was able to kill the other Mangler Squig that came at me with um, Avelinor uh, and some other Stone Guard there. Um, then in, in turn two, he hit me again with the next wave of Mangler Squig and um, Squig Hoppers. But at this point, I was still trapped in my deployment zone. But of course, Teclis had managed to get his defensive spells off. So Protection of Teclis was off. Um, Total Eclipse was off. Voice of the Mountain was off. Um, 
and I was able to use some of Teclis's healing spells as well to get to, to repair some of that damage he'd done to me. So Teclis has got one healing spell. I've got the Emerald Life Swarm for another healing spell, and I had Heroic Recovery as well, so I was able to get Teclis back up. Um, I unfortunately I was I had to sort of focus on healing Teclis because he's such an important part of the army. So I let Avelinor get quite low down. I think at one point he was on like um, uh, 13 wounds suffered. But of course, because the Stone Mage is there and Avelinor was in range, he always counts as suffering no wounds when he's fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he remains at peak combat effectiveness as long as you can keep him within 12 inches of your Alarif Stone Mage. Um, and he was still very, very resilient. He's ignoring those red minus two. He had the five plus ward save. Uh, and at one point in the game, uh, Alex sent a whole unit of um, squigs against him, buffed up to the max with sneaky snufflers and all sorts of stuff. They got 33 attacks against Avelinor. He had two wounds left at this point, And Avelinor was basically, basically, after all the dust had settled, he'd taken one point of damage. <laughs> <laughs> the Alarif oh, Stone are awesome. just so resilient so durable and basically the ren was completely ineffective against him like he was on like a two plus save for the majority of the time uh, of course with that five plus ward save uh, yeah so it some really really unlucky dice rolls for alex and i had some really really good dice rolls for my saves especially on Avelinor. so whilst he was sort of crashing against my defences to little effect my Venari Wardens were managing to hold on to the objectives which luckily for me were coming down on my left flank where he had no units um, so my Venari st- uh, Wardens were basically were able to, to, to take those objectives and then I was able to move Teclis onto one of those objectives to get some more battle tactics so I was able to rack up this lead in victory points whilst he was just failing to struggle to do much damage to my to my units and I think once at the end of the game, I think he'd only actually managed to destroy one unit of Stone Guard over the whole fight. Um, wow. But it was it was a combination of things. I was very, very lucky. I made a mistake in, by giving away the first turn. So next time I play Gene Steel, uh, Gene Steel Cult, Gloomspite Gits and um, uh, Mangler Squeak specifically, I'll be taking that first turn because they were very rapid. They, they, straight on me. I was not expecting that. And I was very lucky to, to have Tekla survive that first turn. It, it, if his damage on the d6 attacks had gone a bit better for him teclis would have been killed in the first turn and then the game would have been completely different um and secondly i was rolling very very hot for my saves i mean those 33 attacks on avelinor um when he only had two points of damage left and he only managed to get one damage through um was just you know it's like clutch really so um yeah, so I, I was, it was a lucky, a lucky victory for me, really. I made a couple of mistakes at the beginning of the game, and I was only able to look it through with my, my, my good dice and rolling from my saves towards the end of the game as well. Uh, but I ended up winning by quite a large margin on that, on that, that game. Excellent, excellent. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I forgot to say during my game with, when, with those manglers, I was quite lucky in that Kragnos um, took two of them down on his own. And the more crusher took one, so um, that was how I kind of negated them. But um, yeah, sounds like um, it was quite a quite a good game, Jake. A good victory. Um, that brings us to the final game of the tournament. Um, Matt, what were you up against? So final game was Tooth and Nail, which is a kind of diagonal deployment. I like to call this one the the Warhammer Forty Thousand scenario because it's basically control one objective control two objectives control more objectives than your opponent kind of very much like the structure of some of the 40k missions um obviously on a kind of a diagonal with an objective in each territory and then the other two are kind of between them 
Um, I was up against uh, David and his sons of Bayamat, fighting the sons of Bayamat for a second time at the weekend. It was a different list, though, um, that he'd taken... Where Ben had taken four Mega Gargants, uh, David took three Megas and um, two Man Crushers. And, uh, yeah, he was... He was he was very, very good. He was good with his movement, making sure everything was in the right position, making sure he could stay out of range of the dragon and um, pretty much focus down the support stuff with his various stone throws. Um, so I it, it done quite a bit of damage turn one and and hurt the dragon. And I've got quite a bit of healing in the list. I can I can bring I can bring wound back with um, obviously I've got the heal prayer. I've got the uh, heroic action to heal him. So if if I do take some wounds off on the dragon, it's not a massive concern. I can heal him up. Um, so I couldn't afford to have another turn of gargants throwing rocks at me. So I had to charge heavy into his uh, his territory and start smashing up stuff. Killed a mega gargant and uh, started to uh, kind of consolidate over that side and, and put a bit of threat on. Because then David would be in the orc, you know, difficult decision of does he push on to take my objectives or does he have to come back and deal with this this dragon and ultimately he decided that if he's going to do that you commit everything everything that turned to killing the dragon which is obviously a massive gamble because if you don't kill it by that point i've probably accrued enough um blood tithe points to do what i did against you andy when we played and i just fight in the hero phase and then kill the other one in in my combat phase um for David, though, it went, that gambit went perfectly, and the the three megas, uh, the two megas and the man crusher combined managed to do enough damage to take out the dragon. And then by then, like with the game before, I didn't have a lot left, but he absolutely made the right call to commit everything. It's you, you've got to kill it, haven't you? And if it means that you've take a turn not getting any objectives but you've destroyed my main threat that then well, it wins you the game then. Cause you've got the rest of the game to then get victory points. And sometimes you just have to make sure you kill that massive threat to, to make sure it's not going to cause problems for you. Because once that thing's on my side of the table, it, it's even though the, the, the sons of Bayamat count as so many models, Volgrath's base is so big, it can cover most of those objectives and you've got a killer. And yeah. that, piecemeal that's a struggle because you charge me i'll breathe fire on you and then i can probably pick apart one mega where a combined assault of three of them even if you lose one of them it's unlikely that i can kill the other two um you know with my returning combat so yeah he, he gambled and it paid off big time um well deserved win he was he was very very good with his movement very good with the positioning um outmaneuvered me uh really really well so yeah it was a really good game uh it was good to play obviously it was the second game fighting the sons of bayamat but a different list as well and it's interesting how the different sons of bayamat armies can play quite differently mm-hmm. so no it was, it, was, it was really really good um end score was um 28 13 so pretty much battered me once the dragon was down but uh really really fun game leaving me for the weekend on two wins out of five yeah, that's, that's good it's good i mean yeah, i'm happy with that i'm happy with that yeah you, i mean you took the dragon not to be super good but because like 
it's just such a fun list, isn't it? Like yeah, that model tr- deserves to be played as much as possible. That's yeah. it. I was gonna, I was going to take a, a, a quote marks proper list with Archeon and Varengard, which is you know, very strong, probably much more competitive than the dragon. But when you've got the opportunity to take a big dragon that people don't see often at tournaments, I like to take it just for the just for the lols, as the kids would say. Yeah. And and you say you only won two games, but that first game against Ben Johnson, that was only what like two points loss. It was, yeah. It was a, it was a really really close game. Um, and if I'd have been more careful in the the final game, I could probably have done a bit better. I think I might have committed the dragon a little bit too soon. I could have maybe drawn his guys out a little bit further, and maybe make sure that he can't counter charge me in the following turn. But it's things that you pick up, isn't it? When you you know you play more games and you find out the sweet spot of like you were saying with your uh, Lumineth, you kind of gauge how far you can push them out and yeah, you know you can keep tweaking that from each game. Um, I certainly want to. I think the the corn need a new book really. I think a few things need tweaking and bringing up to date. Um, and I'll definitely be bringing the dragon out of retirement when that happens. Uh, Jay. How did you get on in your final game? So my last game, and I'm now on table five. Um, so I, I, I'd had a much better run than I, than I was expecting to have at this point. And I was drawn against um, Ian and his uh, Caradron overlords. Um, so I was a bit worried about this one because uh, the Caradrons are quite uh, a lot of shooting. Um, and I, I knew Teclis was very vulnerable to shooting and if he could be you know, they, they can stay at range, really, and, and try and take Teclis out. So I knew I had to try and bring the fight to Ian um, before he sat there and, and destroyed Teclis, really. Um, Ian had a really, really nice-looking um, army that he'd painted, and, and the bases were really nice. He'd, he'd got his own objective markers that he'd built with little, like, mines on them and things. He had a little treasure chest that he brought along to the battle with him with some uh, chocolate coins inside that he was using as his aether gold. Uh, he had a little flight hat uh, cap on with his goggles and things. Uh, he was a great opponent. I had a really, really good game against Ian. It was really, really great fun to play against him. Um, he had only recently come to Age of Sigma, so I, I think he'd had a, a similar amount of games as I had had with uh, the Lumineth with his Caradrons. He used to play Warhammer Fantasy back in the day, but he'd, he'd not played for Age of Sigma 1st Edition um, or 2nd Edition, so he'd just come to Age of Sigma 3. Um, so he'd done quite well, actually, to get to, you know, to, get to Table 5 by the end of the tournament. Um, so um, I, I, I sort of started with the, the same strategy that I, I'd gone into the last couple of games, take the first turn, get my um, uh, Protection of Tekla spell off, get my Total Eclipse spell off so that it would hinder his command abilities. Um, but like I say, he had the range on me, so I had to start pushing forward with my Stone Guard units. So I sort of spread out from my corner, sent some Stone Guard off towards like, sort of like my left flank, sent, sent some more Stone Guard off towards the right flank with the, the Wardens. Um, to try and I knew I wouldn't be able to get into combat with him by turn two maybe but you know end of turn two beginning of turn three I might be able to close with him then I knew he had the mobility so I was very conscious of him using the fly high as well to come behind me and things like that so I try my best to keep Teclis safe um so he, he started by shooting the stone guard which I wasn't too worried about and he soon learned how vulnerable they were so one entire turn of shooting uh, with pretty much his entire army focused against the the small unit of five stone guard, and he it killed three of them. So we knew he was in for a tough fight fighting against the Alarith units. I had a big unit of ten stone guard that were pushing through the centre uh, towards his objective in the corner. Um, 
so so he he tried to focus on that but but again the, the shots were just bouncing off of their armor um i gambled a bit uh with teclis in this one um so he'd clumped all of his sort of ships together he had three frigates uh, no one frigate three gun haulers a couple of units of engine riggers hanging off of them some funders and arconauts in those um boats um and um his characters around there as well and i thought that looks like a perfect sort of target for um teclis's searing light spell which basically you you every unit within 18 inches that teclis can see uh, there's a chance they take mortal wounds so on a, on a two to four they take d3 mortal wounds on a five to six they take d6 mortal wounds so i was just very tempted by the the, the amount of damage i could potentially do there so at, at the end of turn two i um I, to, to, I, I, I teleported Teclis in range uh, to use his spell, uh, and I did a lot of damage, and I was hoping to get the double turn. I had Total Eclipse out, so as a sort of incentive for Ian to give me the double turn so that he wouldn't be so handicapped with his command points, but he didn't take he didn't take the bait. He saw Teclis in front of him, and he thought, no, I, I, I'm taking the turn. Um, I, I, don't, I don't need the extra command points. I'm going to try. This is my chance to take Teclis down. So I had to use the finest hour on Teclis. He still at this point had protection of Teclis up from my previous turn. Um, I popped his Aether Quartz and I used all out defense on him. <laughs> so he was at <laughs> plus three to his save. Obviously it caps at one, but it does interact with the, the Ren minus two that was coming my way from the, the Caradron fleet. So, so Teclis was on a three plus save against pretty much all of the attacks that were coming my way with his five plus um, uh, ward save as well. Um, Ian opted to use his, his single shot cannons to try and get some of those d6 damage through so the entirety of Ian's army in turn 3 he'd he chosen the battle tactic, bring it down he fired everything at Teclis Teclis was out of range of Avelinor's minus 1 to hit um, buff, uh, uh, protection so so he was hitting me on his on his regular uh, ballistic skill he'd Popped his A for gold to get plus one to wound. He'd had some sort of, you'll know this one, Dave. One of his characters had like a targeting gun. So he was basically yeah. re-rolling all hits against Teclis as well. It's like um, an artifact, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so he was pretty confident Teclis was going down. I was pretty worried that Teclis might go down. I'd gambled, like I said, on getting the double turn, thinking Total Eclipse would would sort of incentivize Ian to, to give me that turn to get Teclis out of there. But alas, no, he fired everything at, at Teclis. The dust had settled, and it was like that scene from Independence Day when they nuked the mothership, and, and the guy's jumping around, he's down, he's down, the mothership's down, and, and they're asking for confirmation if the target has been destroyed. The target <laughs> had not been destroyed. The <laughs> dust settled, and Teclis had taken only four damage. Yeah, I, 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 I wandered past this. It was really cinematic, all these ships doing a broadside attack. <laughs> yes. I, I, I thought it was like the scene in the, the Star Wars film where the entire Imperial force opens up at Luke Skywalker and then he dusts yes. himself off. <laughs> that was pretty much exactly what it was like. Um, Teclis on his 3 plus save against all of those hits and uh, the 5 plus ward save for the damage that did get through. It suffered four points of damage, which, you know, I think it, it does actually bracket uh, no, I think actually 0-4 wounds is his top bracket, so he didn't even bracket him. I'd have to check that. He might have bracketed him, but it didn't make any difference anyway. In the next turn, I was able to heroic recovery back up to, to where I needed to be. And luckily for me, all of those ships and all of those units were in range of Teclis to use his searing light spell again and do a whole load more damage. Um, and 
yeah, I, I did. I sort of mauled the carriage on fleet in my turn three. I was able to burn because he'd given me the second turn. I could I could burn one of the objectives that he was holding to, to, to cement my lead. And then and then from then on, he was struggling then. I, I, he'd sort of gambled everything on that, on being able to take Tedless out. And he, he was very unlucky. I mean, I, I don't know what the statistics were, but he fired so many shots, re-rolls to hit, plus one to win with his A for gold. But it just goes to show you how, how good that, that the the the, the all-out defence and the um the the A for quartz and the finest hour all stacking together with protection of techless heroes now you can sort of really when you need to when they're in a pinch you can really give them that boost to help them get through whereas in Age of Sigmar two techless would have been dead at that point you know um no finest hours in Age of Sigmar two no all-out defence in Age of Sigmar two um so yeah so that was that was my fourth win. For the Luminaire, I feel as though the combination of Total Eclipse and the Metrica Alarif sort of ignoring Ren Minus 2 coupled with their Aether Quartz and all-out defence was just a, a tough wall of elves for, for, for the armies I fought to get through. Um, they, they, they could definitely take the punch, uh, and I was worried going into the event that I wouldn't be able to dish out the damage so much with their Ren Minus 1, but even a Velenor, he was, he was a... I think because Total Eclipse was stopping people from being able to use all-out defense when when they when they needed it, Avellanor's minus one Ren was able to get through and he was able to do that five damage with his swings. Um, so I had a great time using this list. Really, really fun. Um, there were not a single Sentinel in the army list, but I still felt like I was able to to reach the back line and reach those important heroes on the enemy side and, and force the opponent into making moves and doing things which they probably didn't want to do but they didn't really have much choice because they were sort of limited with their command abilities they had to try and get to techless when they could and things like that um so so yeah it was really cool i mean ian had ian had quite a lot of um not wizards in his army but he had uh, models that could try and dispel techless's spells um but he was very unlucky as well techless just cast on the 10 uh, so he wasn't able to stop total eclipse or protection of techless which were the two spells really that were doing him the most you know causing him the most trouble um even voice of the mountain which my stone mage had was was um was useful in this in this game as well because the caradrons have such low bravery anyway and then once they're popping their a for gold they they they're on that minus one bravery and that's stacked with my voice of the mountains minus two bravery as well um but this was an awesome game i had so much fun playing this game dwarfs versus elves and that that turn where techless just tanked all of those shots as well we we both we, it was just brilliant really really good fun so that finished my tournament, and um, yeah, four-one I went at this tournament, which is probably my best ever performance at, at an event. Uh, and I think I ended up finishing in the top ten, number seven. Um, yeah, so I, I was well chuffed uh, with that. And then, and then to top it all off, um, I, I got a, a painted um, an army painting um, nomination as well. Um, so all in all, it's been, it's been it was a really successful weekend for the Luminef. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Um... You mentioned about the bravery on the Caradrons. That's why I normally play um, them as, I think it's Barak Urbaz, where they ignore the the minus bravery. But even with yeah. that, still not, they're still not amazing when it comes to bravery. So, yeah, you took full advantage of that. So, yeah, it sounds like um, everybody had a great weekend. I'm just absolutely gutted I couldn't be there for the whole two days. And I'm even more gutted, Andy, that you couldn't be there at all. Um, I'm sure you will be at the next tournament. Oh yeah, de- definitely. The, the next tournament, I'll be the first one through the door. Um, <laughs> but again, I, I think um, on behalf of me and Craig, um, just want to say another thank you to 
uh, Ben Bailey uh, and uh, the Hobber Room for coming down and streaming it because again, even though I wasn't able to actually go and and see any of the games or see any of these people, some of which I haven't seen for almost two years now, um, because of a stream I was able to and still am um, able to uh, watch some of the games. And again, I saw Matt's game against the uh, Beast Claw Raiders uh, in round three, and yeah, that was so so awesome to watch. So yeah, super good. Uh, gutted that i i couldn't make it but i mean even listening to you guys chat on the podcast today you know some of this i'm hearing for the first time and I'm, i've i've been um browsing um in in the background uh of uh various projects so yeah it's it's super super awesome and Sue's, it just pumps your enthusiasm for that next event so yeah, yeah no, it was great Absolutely. I really enjoyed the the battle plan. So I sort of get to play five battle plans. I've not played them before. Um, the, 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 I've now played six games of match play Age of Sigma Frey. I love battle tactics. I, I, I know I said Path to Glory was my favourite thing about Age of Sigma Frey, but it's fast becoming battle tactics is my favourite thing about Age of Sigma Frey. Yeah, we we had um, we had good fun picking the uh, the scenarios because we wanted um, we didn't want any of the ones that are a bit janky. Um, we wanted five nice round or you know, all nice round uh, scenarios. So, yeah. Excellent. Uh, that brings uh, this section to a close until the next tournament. And um, we're not quite finished on the podcast yet, though, because we do have our top three coming up next. Keeping us focused on great battles, we're going to go through our top three, which has us casting our memories back to some of the, the best games of Warhammer uh, that we've played. So, um, Jay, we're going to start with you this week. Um, would you like to present to us your top three, please? All right. So, um, well, I'm not going back too far into uh, history with this one because it's going to be that Caradron game. It was so <laughs> much fun. I think I think it's just because it's fresh in my memory uh, and mm. it had so many cool, exciting moments. Um, and by that point, obviously, I'd been playing with the Lumina for weekend. I was having a really, really cool time using Techless to just annoy the opponent and foil their plans, uh, watching all the attacks bounce off the Stone Guard. But Ian was such a great opponent. He, you know, yeah, I really enjoyed playing against Ian. Um, and I got I got 12 extra gold chocolate coins at the end of it as well. <laughs> oh, well, that's amazing. Yeah, the spoils of war. <laughs> um, what about your second choice? So my second choice is also another a game I played at an event, um, but this was a long time ago. I think, was this 2020? Could it even be 2019? It was, it was a Purple Sparkle Unicorns one-day 40k event, and I took the Adeptus Custodes, um, and um, I started the tournament, went into the hall, found the table, found who I was paired against. Oh, awesome. So what army would you probably not want to fight as an Adeptus Custodius player and definitely not want to fight in the first round of a tournament? Oh, I know the answer. Thousand Sons. Yeah, that's right, Andy. <laughs> Someone at Purple Sparkle Unicorns decided to put me against the Thousand Sons. And not just any old Thousand Sons. Magnus Araman and his Thousand Sons. <laughs> and the Demon Prince as well. Um, so I knew I was going to be up against it. Custodies, I think I've got a, a stratagem at that point that I could use to, to try and deny psychic power. Uh, and they get their six plus ward save against the, or invulnerable, oh, is it a ward save? What is it? Six plus feel no pain? Can't remember what they're called in 40k now. But the same sort of thing, the ward save yeah. against against yeah, mortal yeah. wounds in the psychic phase. Um, so I decided to be a bit 
ballsy on this one. And I have some Alaris Terminators and a Shield Captain in Alaris Terminator armor. And I um, teleported them in right next to Magnus. Um, shot him with my um, Castell axes and my ballistic grenade launchers, and then charged them. Charged him with my uh, Alaris Terminators. Uh, and I, I remember now thinking, do I charge in the Shield Captain as well, just in case, or do I keep do I keep the Shield Captain alive to do something else later? I'll keep the Shield Captain alive, so I didn't charge the Shield Captain in. That was my mistake. I got Magnus down to three wounds with the Alaris Terminators. Uh, if the shield captain had been there, they would have been re-rolling their hits. Um, if the shield captain had been there, the shield captain would have then had a whole bunch of attacks with his Castell and Axe as well. And I might have taken those last three wounds off of Magnus. As it is, I left him with three wounds. He was soon back up to pretty much full health with his three plus invulnerable save and minus one to hit. Working his way through my entire custodian army. At the end of the game, I had my um, Coronis Grav Transport, the only thing left on the board, which was actually turned out to be quite a tough cookie to crack with its toughness 8 and 3 plus save and 5 plus invulnerable save. Um, so, yeah, it was a really, really cool game. It, it was so uh, like, exciting to, to almost kill Magnus in that sort of decapitating strike right early on in the game. And I think it caught my opponent by surprise as well. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, I just wasn't able to get that last bit of damage through on him, man. You know, never mind. I, I I regret to this day not charging in the shield captain. Close but no cigar. Close so but what, no cigar. What tops your list, Jay? So my my um the most memorable game I've got uh, was a big game that that uh, myself, um, you, Dave, and Matt, as well as some some friends as well, my my brother and um, some some guys I went to university with, and it was our first trip to Warhammer World all those years ago, um mm. and. We 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 you know we were so excited about this trip to Warhammer World. We it's the first time we'd been. We'd, we'd booked the table, so we'd got one of those big scenic boards to play on. Um, I can't remember what the name of the, 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 the table is. It's still there at Warhammer World. It's got it's like a broken bridge. 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 Something with J. Yeah, it's got a broken bridge sort of stretched across the middle of it. And we went there with some Horus Heresy army. So I think Matt, you took your um, Empress children. Children, and- yeah. Chris had his Death Guard. Dave, I believe you had some Ultramarines. I had taken some Blood Angels. We had some Imperial Fists there. And um, Alpha Legion, I think um, a friend Dan was there as well. And um, we just sort of spread out on this massive table and, and made a day of it. We'd gone around the museum as well. First time into Bugman's. It was like, you know, being a little kid again. It was like to, to the, the headquarters of Games Workshop. It was such a cool experience and I'll never forget it. And um, I'm really looking forward to take in the the, horror, the Blood Angels again to Warhammer World for our next Horus Heresy game. So that was my most memorable game. I um, was tempted to include that in my list, but I had a sneaking suspicion somebody else might add it. So I've, I've I added quite some some quite recent um, games. My third choice. Um, it was the second time I'd faced uh, this particular opponent, and it's the closest I've got to beating him so far. And it was my second game against Ben Bailey uh, of then at the time of, of Warhammer community fame. Um, it was at a, um, I think it was a one day 40k unicorn tournament. Um, he'd taken his Jade Paladins. I'd taken my Death Guard. Um, it was quite a tactical battle. It came right down to the wire. Um, but what made this game really um, stand out to me was um, in like, I think it was his first turn, he did like an absolute ton of damage to me. Left my Demon Prince, who was surrounded with Death Guard on his own, and he just thought, you know what, let's just charge down this battlefield. He made probably the biggest charge I've ever been able to make. 
murdered everything. Like, he absolutely tore uh, Ben's sort of central part of his army to pieces. Um, tried to go for the tried to go for the warlord, um, but he 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 um he backed off and fought. I think kill the warlord was one of my secondaries, um, which if I'd been able to get so early on would have netted me a whole ton of points and could have been what won me the game. As it was, he didn't. Um, it was a very closely fought game, much closer than the first time I fought him, which I, I used my tyranids. I think, and he had a load of uh, vanguard um, space marines, and I, I just couldn't get close to him. Um, I didn't do very well in that game at all. So maybe next time, Ben, uh, I'll be able to, to 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 beat you in the battlefield. Maybe in Age of Sigma. Maybe I'm going wrong. Maybe I can't beat you at 40k. Maybe it's got to be at Sigma. Um, my second game was actually only probably about two months ago. Um, it was against UJ, and this has made the list because it was absolutely hilarious. Uh, <laughs> and it was uh, I was trying out the new book, so I was using the Thousand Suns. And you were using the Grey Knights. <laughs> um, this is actually, you can watch this game uh, over on YouTube. I'll probably put the link in um, the description for this podcast because it's well worth a watch. I mean, some of the stuff that happened in this game was ridiculous, uh, wasn't it? It was It was awesome. I mean, yeah, like I say, two new codexes. We'd, we'd got the armies ready for, for the battle report. Uh, some of the, uh, the tactical uh, decisions we both took were questionable. But mm-hmm. it was entertaining anyway. <laughs> yeah, it was. And it, it swung this way and that, didn't it? Like, it looked like you were going to batter yeah. me. Then I was going like, to like I was going to batter you. And then in the end, it was it was pretty close. Um, you did, close, in fact, yeah. unfortunately, sneak the, sneak the win. But it was a, a incredibly enjoyable game to be part of. And I'm pretty sure everybody in the chat loved watching it live. It, was, Matt, it was really good uh, presenting it. It was, it was so fun. I mean, I, my favourite part was at the end of the game, where if Jay did nothing he'd win the game but instead decided to go charging after some thousand suns yeah <laughs> i think at the time yeah. i said you were uh snatching defeat from the jaws of victory yeah i like yeah. i didn't think the the, the gray knights would stand there while there were traitors still on the field of this battle. is true this is true you <laughs> might have won the game but you'd have just let the side exactly. down I, yeah. I wouldn't have been able to go back to titan yeah, Emperor wouldn't have been impressed. So um yeah it was it was a really a really really fun game of 40k um but that leaves my top choice, uh, and this may very well appear in Matt's top three, but I, I have a feeling that he's got a few other games that he might choose instead. My top choice was the first time um, I appeared on the official Warhammer stream um, over on Warhammer TV. Uh, me and Matt were invited along to play a game of Age of Sigmar. Matt took to Merkin's Horde. Um, I took Legions of Nagash and borrowed Nagash himself from Matt. And we had an epic game on on the stream, um, including being able to cast Hand of Dust. But unfortunately, Matt stole the fun from me by guessing the correct hand, thus failing to um, take Tamerkin off in one fell sweep. Although he did fall, I think, in the next round of combat to Nagash's sword. But it's not the same. I I wanted to come in with (laughs) Hand of Dust. That's that's how we needed to go. Um, What a day that was, Matt. It was it was really really cool and 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 big shout out to um to to Raph and Nick who really looked after us that day as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um a great game, uh, a great occasion. Um really enjoyed it. Really really enjoyed it. Uh, Andy, can uh, can we hear your top three? Yeah, so my top three um was actually really hard because again you know we have so many good games. Um, but over the years I've had three games that just jumped out at me 
they're all Age of Sigmar, but I think they're all first edition games. Hmm. So it, it's going back a while now, but um, my number three choice was um, I played a guy called Gary Hennessy at um, South Coast GT, which is down in Portsmouth. And um, he was running Flesh Eat Courts. I was running. I was going through a bit of um, a competitive phase, let's say. Um, and I had um, two Frost Lords and Stonehorns. And this is back in the day when you could take multiples of the same artifact. So I had double Battle Brew, which gave even the um, the, the Stonehorn plus one to hit and plus one to wound. And I charged both of them into a Mongol, who at the time could have a two plus save that was unrendable. It was just, you know, it was insane. Like, it was so hard to kill a Mongol back in the day. And I charged both of them in, did a bunch of damage, got really lucky, left him alive on one wound. He attacked back, killed one of my Frost Lords. And in the next turn, I won priority. I was throwing all my attacks at this Mongol, couldn't do anything. And then Gary re- reminded me, oh, you've got punches and kicks from your Frost Lord. And I was like, looked at the profile. I'm like, OK, three attacks, freeze and freeze. But I get plus one to both of those at twos and twos. No rend, one damage. I was like, what is this going to do against a two plus save? Because ignores rend. And I managed to get one wound through. And he was like, picked up a dice and he's like, I've got that six plus death save, Andy. I've got that six plus death save. And I was like, don't you dare. Don't you dare. And he rolled it and it rolled a one and the Mongol died to punches and kicks. So, <laughs> oh, you know, I mean, every other game, punches and kicks don't do anything. Like, I don't even know why they're on the profile, but that one game. Yeah, loved it. Um, my second game was against a guy called Wayne Kemp. Now, um, Wayne used to do a podcast called Healing Hammer. And I'm like, I was a huge, huge fan of Healing the Hammer back in the day. And every time I met them, I'd always do that proper fanboy thing. And yeah. And I just remember sitting there at, um, I think it was GT, it's one of the heats, Heat Fray, I think it was. And I was sort of like waiting for my opponent to turn up, waiting for my opponent. And after about five minutes, my opponent turns up and I just look up from my phone and I see Wayne Kemp standing there. And I just screamed his name. I was like, Wayne! <laughs> like, you know, trying to hold my excitement in. I did not do it very well. The excitement just came out. And of course, Wayne's face is just like, you know, oh my God, what have I got myself into? What, what, what am I going to have to put up with and stuff? And um, yeah, again, this was sort of like, this, this, is, this was the game for me where I went from trying to run super competitive lists and really just trying to win as many games as I possibly could to the opposite where I love playing the game, but I'm not bothered about winning as much anymore. And for me, that that epiphany is something that I will always be grateful to, to Wayne for because the game that we played, I yeah, I don't think it's... Um, uh, basically, I just steamrolled him, just went for his army, didn't really lose anything just absolutely decimated it and i just thought to myself i didn't want to give a non-game i didn't want to steamroller people i just want to play the game i want if i'm going to win i want it to be like your game against uh, ben johnson at the weekend mm. that way you win by you know one or two points or you know what have you and yeah when i when i played wayne 
he was so gentleman about it. Like he was so nice to play. And we just ended up having a chat after the game. And, you know, after that, for me, I was kind of like, right, okay, I'm going to take a step back from competitive play. And in all honesty, I've never looked back since. Which brings me on to my number one game. So it was the GT final just after the GT uh, heat. And I rocked up, tried to paint a Nighthorn army in a day because I'm absolutely crazy. couldn't do it and so one of our friends a guy called Andy very graciously lent me his Seraphon army and he says to me we're, we're queuing up and I'm writing my army list and he's like oh put this in you know put the Sildon in you know what have you and I had two Carnosaurs Scarvet old one you know and he says to me I'll be amazed if you win one game with that list and I sort of looked at him and went what have you just signed me up for <laughs> and, and I got to play against a guy called John, and I do apologise because it's been a few years and I don't remember his surname, but he was playing Stormcast. It was red and gold. He had a Star Drake. And again, this is back in first edition, so Star Drakes and Concussors and Fulminators were kind of like the newest thing out for Stormcast. So it wasn't, you know, all the new stuff that you see today. And against my Seraphon, we played Scorched Earth. And for those who don't know, Basically, at the time, there's three objectives on my opponent's side of the board, three on mine, and I can burn my opponent's objectives. And it got down to the turn four, and I sort of looked at it. There's one objective left, which was in John's deployment zone. I was like, if I hold that for one turn, I can be one point behind him, or two points behind him, I think it was. And going into turn five, if I didn't burn the objective, and I won priority going into turn five. Then on a three plus, I would win the game and get a minor victory. And on a five plus, I would get a major victory. And a one or two, I would get the major loss. So naturally, of course, I say to John, and I'm looking at him and I'm just like, this is the most tensest dice roll of my life. Mm-hmm. And we rolled and I won priority and I'm like, yes, you know, really, really really good and I'm like I don't have to do anything literally we can do my entire turn in about five seconds because all I'm going to do is burn your objective and like I said if I rolled a one or two I get the major loss anything else and I get some version of a win and I'm like right okay end of my turn just going to burn the objective and John looks at me and he's like you know almost quivering he's also like oh my god the tension is just so much and i'm just like oh and by this stage we've got like three or four people sat around the table all sort of like oh my god this is so tense and i rolled the dice and the dice just rolled and rolled and rolled and it rolled a one and i lost (laughs) but even to this day i think that was probably 2017 so you know even four years later I can still remember this game like it was yesterday. So, you know. Ouch, Andy. Ouch. I mean, if you're going to lose, that's the way to lose. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's uh, sp- memorable, but for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that just leaves one member of the team to discuss his top three. So, Matt, what have you got for us? Wow. So there's some there's some classics in this one. There's some classics in this one. So obviously I played with my dragon this weekend, but the first outing with the dragon was 
way back with the the first edition uh, Blades of Corn book, and we're playing a um, Throne of Skulls. And I get into my um, final game, and who am I playing? But Mr. Andy Woods. <laughs> this and, uh, this one was an honourable mention for me as well. <laughs> and, and yeah, you so so you'd taken a pledge to do this um, this uh, kind of hobby challenge where you wouldn't never ever take the double turn. And um, yeah, even though even though you could have won the game by taking it, you stuck to your ground and, and took it, and it was such a fun game. The dragon had a whale of a time eating all sorts of stuff. And uh, yeah, it was just a really enjoyable game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've still got um, visions of uh, um, Gut Rot Sproom coming on the first side of a board with some Blight Kings and decimating one side, and then you used um, your blood type points to move your dragon. Because my, yeah. my, my whole game plan was basically to avoid the dragon and just <laughs> sort of take objectives in your backfield. And when you used the blood type points, I was just like, Oh my god, I have no idea. You know, I did not think you could do that. And it was just like my my hopes and dreams of winning that game just you know, I was outplayed, so yeah. You know, well it done. Was, it, was well really, done. Really it was really fun. We did a rematch of that. Uh, my second on my list though is a game against Mr. Vincent Notley on Warhammer TV, where we, we played a narrative battle out of the Vigilist campaign and uh played uh, Uruk Speed Freak Uruk on Orc Speed Freak Force versus not these many many death strikes and oh I've, I've never seen so many death strikes go off the first turn they could fire it <laughs> was glorious it was like something out of some kind of post-apocalyptic movie there's all these orc my the entire army was vehicle based charging towards this imperial defense line as the nukes start raining down on them it was amazing most ridiculous game ever um unfortunately once they fired the payload the the orcs just kind of like smashed the uh, imperial army then i hope i hope death strikes get better in the new book that'd be amazing wouldn't it yeah uh, so that was a really really fun game and number one we've heard about it lots on this podcast but i can't let dave forget it it is archeon versus the more crusher getting the sword Oh God! I knew this would appear in your top three. Um, <laughs> it will always, it will always appear in my top three. Dave. It, will, it will always. <laughs> just everything about this game, um, before the cameras were rolling, before the stream started, you know, it was written in this. Uh, that victory should have been mine, and everything <laughs> that could go wrong in that battle went wrong, and the absolute epitome of that was being sucked into the 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 the, the Archean sword. Slayer of Kings. We'll never yep. forget it. It was fun though, wasn't it? Was it? <laughs> was it? Was it fun? Um, it was a great game, to be fair. But uh, if there was going to be a game where I beat you on the stream, it was going to be that one. So much prep went into that game, and uh, <laughs> you can't prepare to get sucked into the Slayer of Kings. Just can't prepare for it. You're not prepared. No. Excellent. Um, that wraps up our top freeze. We do have one final segment left to do. It's uh, our quick look at the community top three, and that's coming up next. So it is time to wrap up this week's podcast with the community top three picks. Over on Facebook, David Anderson, his third choice was my first ever siege game of Warhammer, sixth edition rule set. High Elf slash Empire Allies surrounded by twice as many Orcs and Goblins. Silver Helms rode out from the keep and 
started a wave of fleeing goblins. Do you know, in all the games of Warhammer we've ever played, we've never really truly had an epic siege game. Um, I used to like definitely... reading about them in White Dwarf. Yeah, we, we absolutely need to do something like that. Um, ideally for Sigmar, um, but yeah, we definitely need to do some, something. Um, it's second choice is fantasy again. Dwarf gun line versus Skaven, 3,000 points. Turn one, first shot with a cannon, hits a screaming bell. <laughs> Skaven <laughs> promptly roll for all their war machines, taking wounds. About 2,000 points of artillery explode. Then I get to declare my next shot. Ouch. That's the <laughs> downside of um, Skaven luck, isn't it? Uh, and his top choice is the first time I played Age of Sigmar with a Lord of Change, and he melted the Glockkin off the board in one round of magic before getting eviscerated by Scarbrand. Carnage on the board. Um, yeah, very, very cool. Um, I believe we've had an email, Matt. We do. So Ian Campbell's emailed in. So his number three choice is GW Conflict Montreal 2005. One of my earliest tournament introductions. Second game, my Dark Angels 4 Eldar and gave me a lifelong hatred for star cannons as they tore through my dark angels. I took home worst general at the event and (laughs) won a Warhammer Fantasy starter set so that I could, in their words, lose in both game systems. (laughs) Uh, His second choice is his first game at Mini Wargaming, playing Mini Wargamer Quirk and his orcs, including the infamous two-wound looters. And finally, number one, the mega battle at the 2001 Canadian Games Day, why wired hard enough to get the attention of an event staffer and my tactical squad of ultramarines was reinforced by a at the new uh, sorry at the time new lucius Patton warhound titan against the at the time new necrons uh, wow. enjoying the podcast ian awesome thanks for that ian they sound really cool excellent uh, excellent choices. Um, if you do fancy emailing us, um, you can do so. Sprucebrews at gmail.com. Um, alternatively, you can obviously get us on Facebook and uh, Twitter. Matt, what is next week's top three? So Games Workshop have released some really cool scenery kits over the years. So next week, we want to know your top three scenery kits of all time. Excellent. So you can get your choices in early or you can look out for our posts over on social media on the Sunday or Monday before we record. But, gentlemen, that does sadly bring us to the end of this epic podcast. Um, it was great hearing about um, how you got on and the games I didn't see at the tournament, guys. It sounded like you had a, a lot of fun. Um, and, Andy, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll get a game uh, in at some point as well to make up for our, our lack of gaming at the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> excellent Uh, until then have a great week of hobby and we'll speak to you all again very soon Bye. Bye. bye bye thanks for listening to the Spruce and Brews podcast for more content remember to check out spruceandbrews.com and if you'd like to get in touch with us send us a tweet at spruceandbrews or head over to facebook.com forward slash spruceandbrews brews.